Let us uh, begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I'm a little nervous today because uh, I said I went to Denver and uh, I was pretty much banking on the rapture yesterday. Um, so, honey, I took out a second mortgage and I bought me a really fun sports car and a Harley. And I don't think they'll take them back. <laughs> you know, it's really good that we don't know the day. But I am not prepared for my sermon because I wasn't expecting to be here this morning. So so we'll see how this goes. No. Um, how many of you would have, it would have been just just great, just fine, had the rapture happen yesterday? Anyone? <laughs> the seniors are thinking, I'm just a week away from graduating. <laughs> and moms and dads are like, we're just months away from them moving away. Why now, Jesus? <laughs> uh, yeah, it didn't happen. Not surprising. You know, I, I have a theory that any day that is picked as the day will not be the day. Um, so I guess, you know, you could jinx the whole thing and just guess every day. I don't know how that would work. But uh, no, it's kind of funny to see us Christians making fools of ourselves again. Well, this morning we are going to continue our series on the uh, reason for God. And this is a series based out of a book by Tim Keller. It's a New York Times bestseller, and hopefully you've picked up a copy. If not, we have three more copies, and we can also get more here if those disappear today in time for next Sunday. Um, uh, anybody reading it? Do you find there's some big words in there and it's kind of heady and it, it's not an easy read, but it's a good read. The Bible is not an easy read, but it is a good read. And, uh, so I challenge you, I throw the gauntlet down, uh, for you to read this book. It'll do you well to read it. Uh, today, we're going to consider an objection, a very common objection to Christianity, to belief in God, and really a formidable objection, a difficult objection to belief in God, and that is the issue of suffering. The objection kind of goes something like this. If God is all good, meaning he, can, he, he would only do things that are good, for his creation, for people he loves, for uh, animals, for all the cute little bunnies out there. He would, he would only do good things. And if he's all-powerful, which means he can do, he has the power to do it, then why is there suffering? Uh, another way to put it is, perhaps God is not all-powerful. He'd like to do good. But since he's not all-powerful, that's why evil exists, and therefore the God that is described in the Bible can't exist, being all-powerful and all-good. Or another way to put it, perhaps God isn't all-good, but he is all-powerful, and that's why we find ourselves in the world in which there is great suffering. And again, if that's true, the God of the Bible can't be true. It's a difficult dilemma, and uh, it has been 
wrestled with. The problem of evil is what it's called by philosophers. And it has been wrestled with since humankind was created. People have tried to figure this one out. And there is more written on this philosophically and theologically probably than any other idea that's faced humanity. But we know that this is not an abstract issue, is it? This is a very real issue. In fact, in my life, I have found that uh, the longer I live on planet Earth, the more evil I see, the more hatred I see, the more pain and suffering I see, the more good people that I know and love that I watch suffer. Perhaps as you've been here through the years, you've heard of my friend Ken West. And I've got his picture up in my office and he's the bald guy. He wasn't always bald. He was bald when he went through chemotherapy for cancer. And he had lymphoma. Uh, There's some technical name I can't remember. But uh, he found out that he had cancer the week we were graduating from seminary together. He squeezed three years of school into 15. (laughs) He wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's a good guy. (laughs) I'm kidding. Ken loved people. Ken was an amazing pastor. And everybody loved Ken. In fact, I've shared, I believe, before that at his funeral, he died when he was, I believe, 45. He was only 10 years older than me. And at his funeral, everybody who got up and spoke, the running joke was, Ken, no, right before he died, Ken was my best friend. He told me that I, I mean, this was person after person after person after person. It was a running joke at his funeral. And his funeral was a time of celebration because we knew that Ken's suffering had ended and he was with Jesus. But it was painful. It was painful to see his three kids, all of them in high school or junior high, and just to go. They watched their dad for five years deteriorate and face cancer. And are they becoming bitter towards God? And I know that was one of Ken's greatest fears. That his kids, that his wife would get bitter towards God because of his suffering. I miss Ken to this day. He was a great mentor in my life. I met him when I was in high school. Fun guy. He challenged me to love Jesus and love people like no one I've ever experienced. And I got to say, I, I don't see it. I don't see the purpose in his death. And some of you know, part of my story is I was a youth pastor in Littleton, Colorado, the day of the Columbine shootings, the massacre, Columbine high school. And we had a, probably about 30 or 40 kids in our youth group went to Columbine. 
And I remember going to the elementary school. In fact, when I was in Denver, I drove by that elementary school. And it just was a surreal experience remembering that. And I was trying to remember, how did I get access into all that? I guess I just said, I'm a youth pastor. And everybody was so freaked out, they let me in. And I remember sitting in the gymnasium with parents whose kids hadn't gotten home yet. And just uncontrollable sobbing from moms and dads. And just the moment when the sheriff got up to the podium and said, I'd like to introduce you to the coroner. And the coroner gets up and says, we have fatalities. And looks like some of the bodies have been rigged with some uh, explosives. So... We won't be able to get them out till morning. And moms and dads having to go home without their baby. Yes, even when you're 15 to 18 years old, you're still mom and dad's baby. And I'll never forget how that just tore a hole into Littleton. For several weeks and months. And wrestling through, why does God allow suffering why does god allow young lives people who love him one girl was cassie bernal you've probably heard her story and she went to the church next door to ours she loved jesus christ she did and she was going to do great things in this world why <laughs> why her why suffering You know, I've wrestled with this issue throughout my life as a follower of Jesus. And it becomes a bigger issue each and every year for me, it seems, because I am exposed to more and more pain and suffering and sorrow and death and disease and more questions. And you might be thinking, boy, I sure hope he's got a good answer. And I'm still thinking, boy, I wish... I had a good answer. But I think that there are some good ways for us to wrestle through this issue. There are things that we can grab hold on in the gospel and in the story of Christ. And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture today. And we're going to try to figure out partly why this happens, but more, how do we respond When it happens, what resources are available to us as followers of Jesus? And so if you would turn in your scriptures to the book of first Peter, and this book was written by Peter. Very good. (laughs) You got to be on your toes. I might give pop quizzes left and right. So, uh, and this is kind of just the warm up because when you get to the pearly gates, maybe there's going to be a pop quiz. You ever think about that? You know? (laughs) <laughs> You're like, uh, you're Peter? Okay, what, you wrote two books. Okay, good. Um, just kidding. It's all grace. But if it was me at the gate, it'd be, <laughs> be far more entertaining. Um, we're going to look at First Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at some verses here. Uh, Peter writes this book to what he calls exiles. These are people who have suffered For the gospel, they've been driven out of their home in Jerusalem. Think about being driven out of your home in Ray. 
because you believe different than everybody else. And people start confiscating your land and they start uh, taking you before the judge and the judge rules. Yeah, that's not their land and that's not their truck and that's not their car. And and uh, they can just move on down the road for all we care. Imagine a climate that goes from you're totally accepted, totally legit, totally able to carry on business and no fears and freedom to all of a sudden everything's ripped away from you. And the law is on the side of those who are ripping it away from you because you believe in Jesus. And these people are suffering and they've been driven from their home in Jerusalem and they find themselves scattered throughout the ancient world. And Peter writes to them trying to cheer them up, trying to steal them towards future persecution because it's not ended. It's going to continue. So he says this in verse three, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point. You expect that from the first Pope, right? That's supposed to be in there. Okay. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow, that's a sentence. Let me unpack that for you real quick. Peter is saying that praise be to God. Why? Here's why. Salvation and new birth in Jesus. God is doing something in your life and making you a new person. There is a new birth. His great mercy. You're not receiving what you really deserve. You're receiving God's Mercy, the resurrection of Christ, some good news. And then he says, an inheritance. Anybody ever come into an inheritance? Did you tithe off of it? Number one, no, just kidding. <laughs> this isn't a stewardship message. It just looks like you guys are need a little joke there for a moment. You ever come into an inheritance? Um, I've received an inheritance or two. My grandmother, when she passed away, and uh, my mom actually received the inheritance, my mom and her brothers, but my mom decided to share a little bit with her kids. Um, what she shared with me, I'd already used up because I'd gone to my grandmother to help pay for seminary. <laughs> and so basically my mom said, you don't have to pay it back. So that was a pretty big gift. And, and really it was a gift to this church because lots of pastors, when they graduate seminary, have tens of thousands of dollars of debt and uh, makes hard being a pastor. And we were very fortunate because the inheritance I received from my grandmother, my, my grandma paved the way for me to pastor here. The inheritance I received blessed me, my family. Uh, it helped get me on, into financial situation that was healthy and good. And, and, and it blessed you, my inheritance. That's the thing about an inheritance. It, it blesses the recipient, but it also can bless others. And did you see that that word inheritance is in here twice? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can, whoa, never perish. My inheritance is gone. 
I guess the education remains, but that's sketchy some days. I've got the paper still. The church burns down. It, I won't have the paper even. I might, maybe I should make a copy and stick it in the safe deposit box. I could get transcripts from my school. We received another inheritance from Grand, uh, Marnie's grandfather when he passed away, and, and that helped us have a down payment for a home. We don't live in that home anymore. It was in Denver. We did get the money out of it, but the money has perished <laughs> somehow. I think it's, it's now stuff and things. And it's part of our house we have here. This is an inheritance that doesn't perish, spoil, or fade. What kind of inheritance is he talking about? That sounds like a good inheritance. And then it says, this inheritance is kept in First Pioneer National Bank. Excuse me, in heaven, sorry. This, 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 this inheritance is in heaven. Okay, well, how do I get my hands on it then? Because <laughs> that's what we want with our inheritance, right? We want to get our hands on it. We want to use our inheritance. And Peter's saying, glory be to God, because you are a new creature who's been a new birth. You've experienced this newness of life through the resurrection of Christ. You've experienced God's mercy. And not only that, there's an inheritance for you that will never perish. And it's on deposit in the safest bank in the universe, heaven doesn't even need a guard because like God is the guard of the inheritance. He's the guarantee. He's the depositor. Who's going to mess with him? And then it says through faith, you're shielded by God's power. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking about to these people who were driven out of their homes, who had probably wives or husbands or children or loved ones murdered. You could easily go, how dare you, Peter, say that I'm shielded by God? Sometimes that's how we respond, isn't it? I'm not shielded by God. But Peter is talking to people who have suffered. Peter is talking to people who were at Columbine High School and lost their child. He, he's talking to people like me who lost a good friend to cancer. He's talking to people like Melanie, Ken's wife, who, who, who lost her husband to cancer. And he's saying, God is your shield. My guess is, God, if you're truly a shield, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, right? Doesn't that make sense? It's a problem of evil, and Peter's speaking it right here. In fact, a few days ago, Bailey and I were driving to school. She loves school, by the way. And uh, <laughs> she loves it. It's almost over. And uh, we were talking. I can't even remember the situation. But it was one of those situations where she, she's like, but they love Jesus. Why is that happening to them? You see, even when you're 11, something tells you that good people shouldn't have bad things happen to them. And I tried as a dad 
slash pastor who's supposed to know stuff to say, honey, there's no guarantees. Honey, I, I don't know why bad stuff happens. It just does sometimes. God, though, it says is our shield. Now, here's the interesting thing with the problem of suffering. It's a problem for everybody. It's a problem for every worldview. Peter's basically saying the answer to solve the problem of suffering isn't to become an atheist. Because an atheist still has the problem. But the atheist doesn't have the shield. The atheist doesn't have God's mercy, the resurrection of Christ. The atheist doesn't have the inheritance. The atheist, in Peter's words, does, have, does not have hope. Steve Martin, one of my favorite comedians, wrote a book, or excuse me, a song, and it goes like this. Atheists ain't got no songs. It's a good song. It's a really funny song. You can watch it on YouTube. Atheists ain't got no songs. You know why atheists ain't got no songs? Because they got nothing worth singing about. Christians have hope. We have hope of the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time was supposed to be yesterday. Didn't happen. Now listen to verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Now, the word this refers back to something, correct? Is there any English teachers out there? Maggie's not here today to make fun of my poor grammar usage at times. But this word this is referring back to something, and scholars wrestle with what it's, re what it's referring back to, and I agree with the scholars who say this is referring back to verses 3 through 5. What do you rejoice in? You receive God's mercy. You have new birth. You, re you rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You rejoice in the inheritance that is in heaven that can never perish. This you rejoice in. Anybody rejoice in that this past week? Anybody, when you got bad news, rejoice in that this past week? You see, that is how you handle the problem of suffering in the world. It's not that you're going to get out of it. It's not that it's never going to happen to you or your loved ones or people who trust Jesus. It is not a, well, I trust in Jesus. I got the get out of suffering card. It's not at all that. It's that when it happens, you have resource. You have this to rejoice in. Do you know that? Do you realize that? Oh, it gets better. Stay with me. You got to read the Bible. It's the coolest. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Notice how Peter is giving perspective. Though now for a little while. Though now for a little while. Yes, I know. When we are in the midst of suffering, it doesn't feel like a little while. Yes, I know that. But do you all remember my rope that I used to bring to church? I couldn't find it today. I don't know where it's at. 
And the rope stretched from that side of the building to that side of the building. And there's a little part of it that I had used tape on. And I said, this rope is basically representative of your existence. It started with your birth. It does not end with your death. It goes on forever. And this little part here at the beginning is your life here on earth. And that's what Peter is saying. Though for a little while you suffer. He's trying to give us perspective. That's what he's doing, isn't it? The whole thing is perspective. You have an inheritance that will never perish. It is in heaven. God is the the guardian of it and of you. You receive God's mercy. Jesus rose from the dead. You're a new creature. You can rejoice because you're suffering for a little while. But death, when you translate into true reality and into true life, you will look back and go, that wasn't so bad. But if you don't have that perspective, if you're an atheist, you ain't got no songs. There is no in the sweet by and by. There's just, I'm now dust. You see, for the atheist, they have to explain to us why there's even any good in this world. The atheist has to explain why we should care for the least of these amongst us. Because evolutionary theory would say that the weakest lose. And an evolutionist would look at the world and go, huh, yeah, this is pretty much how I'd expect it to look. The strong killing or taking advantage of the weak. And we shouldn't worry about that. They aren't the fittest. Their tribe should not increase. It's been happening ever since the beginning, says the evolutionist. They have to explain to me and explain to all of us why good exists. Why is there any good in the world? Why even work for the good? They have no explanation for suffering and why it's a bad thing. Well, then we go on. That was a tangent. Sorry about that. You had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, these have come. Here's the reason. Interesting. Hmm. This is a part to listen to. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Did you know that your most precious possession is your faith? That's what this says. It is of greater worth than gold. How hard are you working at your faith? You know, if you're like me, you work really hard at your other possessions. Even on my iPhone. It's not an iPhone, it's an iPod. But I like to call it an iPhone because I feel better about myself. <laughs> Even on my iPhone, I have a stock market button application. There's an app for that. And I can follow my stocks. And some days, oh, it's fun to follow my stocks. 
Lots of other days, not so much fun to follow my stocks. And I get a new, little newsletter each month, and it gives me ideas as to where to move my money and how to make it grow and get more of it. Because I like stuff. I like money. I do. Shocking, I know. But here's something that's true about you. You like it too. <laughs> and we work really hard at getting more of it and making sure that we have enough of it and keeping it safe and creating investments that are less risky or more risky depending on where we're at in life and trying to accumulate more and more stuff. And we work hard at our jobs so we can get paid. How many of you would do what you do for free? And if you raised your hand, you're a liar. Because I'm sure if you went into your boss and said, I would do this for free, they'd take you up on it. We work really hard at other things and the stuff we value. And one of the things that we are told in Scripture is more precious than gold is our faith. Are you reading your scriptures? Are you spending time in prayer with Jesus? Are you walking with God? Are you moving more and more into faith? Because it's more precious than anything that you've got in this world. It's interesting, though. I think Peter is alluding to an Old Testament story in Daniel chapter 3 here, where he talks about this furnace. And he talks about that gold is like these, these trials, these sufferings come into our life to, to demonstrate the purity, the gen, genuineness of our faith. And you remember Jan, Daniel 3, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which wasn't even their Jewish names. It's kind of sad, those poor guys. They're known by their Babylonian names. Those guys refuse to bow down to a false idol and they get tossed into the fiery furnace. I just got to say, when I was a kid, I loved this story. And the king is so mad that they would not bow down to this false idol. It was actually a statue of himself. <laughs> and he gets so mad that they won't bow down that he has the furnace heat, heated up to the point that it is seven times hotter than normal. I mean, he's mad and he has these guys tossed in there, all three of them. And it's so hot. It tells us in the scriptures that the guys throwing them in died. <laughs> you know, that's a hot furnace. And somehow the king is looking in there with his advisors into the furnace. I always had a picture of like plexiglass. It didn't exist then. So I don't have a clue how this works. But they're looking into the furnace, the scriptures tell us. They're looking in there. And the king says, didn't we throw three guys in? I'm seeing four in there. Who's the fourth guy? And they're walking around chatting. Didn't we get this hot enough? And the three emerge. Not four. The three emerge and they emerge on the, the scriptures say they didn't even smell like smoke. Wow. They came out of the furnace. I think Peter is saying our faith is like that. 
And the furnace for us is our trials, our sufferings. And when we enter into the furnace, we walk into the furnace and it feels like we're the only one in there, but there's another one in there with us. If we have faith in Christ, he's in the heat with us. And we can walk out the other side. Now, I'm not a name it, claim it kind of guy. I am not saying that it's going to work every time in this life, but I can guarantee you this. Even when that furnace kills you, you can walk out the other side. See, here's the amazing thing. Paul, an early follower of Jesus, wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this. Death will be swallowed up in victory. And then he taunts death. Oh, death, where is your sting? When I swallow things, it makes me a little bigger, first off, depending on what I swallow. When I swallow things, I take them into me. I ingest them. They become part of me. Victory is going to swallow Death, even death is going to become part of victory. Weird, huh? Sit around and contemplate that the rest of the afternoon. Death becomes part of victory. Ken's death became his victory. Doesn't feel like it to me, his wife, his three kids. But we just don't understand the inheritance We just don't understand the resurrection that is through Jesus Christ. We just don't understand that God is our shield even when we pass through the fires that kill us. We just don't understand the mercies of God. Ken does. He could wail on me when it comes to theology. Dude, you're an idiot. You don't understand it. Because Paul says you're looking through a glass dimly. But Ken sees it. Because he's walked it. All right, I got to move on. I'm really sorry. This is so exciting to me, though. (laughs) Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you loved him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Ah, isn't that exciting? Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that has to come... That was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Sounds like our little friend with yesterday's timing. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ. Did you read that? Whose sufferings? Let me tell you that this is the greatest resource the Christian faith offers. We don't have an answer for suffering. We don't know why. We don't know why God allows it. We don't know why God allows women to be beaten by husbands who, quote, love them. We don't know why kids are sexually abused by relatives and loved ones. We don't know why financial ruin comes upon people. We don't know why 25,000 children starve to death every single day. We don't know why God can sit in heaven and watch this. 
We don't know why. There's no good answer. There's no good reason. But why I am a Christian and convinced that following Jesus is the best way to live is because of the sufferings of Christ. You see, every time I cry out in my pain, Jesus cried out in his pain on the cross. Every time I cry out, this isn't fair, Jesus cries out from the cross, I'm innocent. Yet I die for you. Every time I am scared to death, I see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, sweating, tears and drops of blood, asking God, I don't want to do this. Scared. If you're a if you're a history buff, if you have studied history, you've got to say that Jesus didn't die well. There were far more brave people than Jesus when it came to their death. Jesus was kind of a wuss. Now, why? Because he knew it was going to be far more than physical pain. He was experiencing physical and spiritual pain like no other ever. You see, when I see suffering in my life, when I see suffering in the lives of those I love, it is reminding me that Jesus suffers as well. And it is through Christ's suffering that we ultimately have death being swallowed up in victory. It is ultimately through Christ's suffering, his death, his resurrection, that we too can taunt death and say, even though the flames might kill me, I will walk out the other side. This is our hope. Atheists ain't got no songs. One last thing. Indulge me, would you? No? All right. This is so good, though. You're going to love this. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, and they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Eve, oh. See that last line? Even angels long to look into these things. Huh? Angels are way smarter than us. Way more strong. And they've been around since creation. They've seen a lot of stuff. And the word here in the Greek for the word long is actually the Greek word for lust. You ever struggled with lust of the eyes? We won't talk about like cars, looking at car that you want. And you can come up with something that you just, every time, you, oh man, I want that car. Look at that car. It's a beautiful car. Angels can't take their eyes off of the gospel because it is just so mind-blowing to them that the creator of the universe would allow his son, God, in the flesh to suffer for a sorry lot like us. And angels long to look into this because God didn't do it for them. Remember, Satan and his angels fell. And for whatever reason, God did not choose to redeem them. 
Didn't choose to fix them. Didn't choose to fix their problem for them. But for us, for some reason, he has extended mercy and grace and new birth and resurrection from the dead and inheritance in heaven that will never perish. For some reason, God in his grace and his love and his mercy for us, though we are dust, though we are a worm, as we read in David's psalm, though we are nothing, God decided to act through suffering, and swallow up death in victory. (laughs) What's the resource for dealing with suffering in your life? Think about the gospel. You see, the gospel we think of as just something to save us. The minimum standards, the minimum requirement to get into heaven, that is not at all what the gospel is. The gospel is everything. It is the resource for living the best way to live. It is the resource for dealing with suffering in our lives, dealing with suffering in this world. You have all you need if you have Christ. And if you don't believe it, then figure that part out. I can't help you with it. You have everything you need in Christ to deal with suffering in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you give us eyes wide open for the gospel, that we would long to experience it and to know it and to live it in different powerful ways each and every day. Thank you that Ken is with you and he's with Jesus today. He is safer than any of us. <laughs> uh, thank you that... Uh, We have hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that I get to be a person that gets to share about that each and every day. Help me to be a person who lives it. Help us all to be people who are convinced that there is an inheritance, that our faith is greater than gold, and no suffering can rip this from us. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, though you may suffer for a little while. Remember, Christ suffered for a little while, too. But his suffering swallowed up death and victory. And you are an heir of that. Amen.